The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Time Masters, a PapiChulaRadio.com original series. PapiChula Radio celebrating a decade of podcasting excellence. Today is Monday, July 19th, 2021, and I'm your host, Jeffrey Aruz. During this podcast, we'll be having an in-depth discussion on the CW's DC's Legends of Tomorrow. Please welcome my co-hosts, Professor X. Hello, everyone. And Millie Wood. Hello, listeners. Let's jump into our discussion of Season 6, Episode 10, which was titled Bad Blood, and aired July 18th, 2021. Here is the official synopsis of the episode. With Constantine obsessed with getting his powers back, he convinces Spooner to join him on the quest to find the Fountain of Imperium. After they find themselves at the end of the Spanish Civil War, Spooner makes an unexpected bond with someone she feels the need to protect them from everyone. She feels that's worded strangely. Spooner makes an unexpected bond with someone she feels she needs to protect from everyone, including Constantine. Now that they have a special guest on board the Wave Rider, Nate, Zari, Bayrod, Gary, and Astra all work together but experience some growing pains along the way. Meanwhile, Sarah and Lita are concerned about Rory's health, so they try to convince him to take it seriously. I guess that happened. <laughs> this press release is fascinating. All right, everybody, let's talk about this. Bad Blood, this was really Constantine's hour. I know that they mentioned basically everybody on the team in the press release, but this was Constantine and Spooner's hour. Uh, the, the episode starts off with Constantine, you know, trying to find this fountain. It's like we're catching up on, on the, this quest that he's been on since he's left the Wave Rider, he gets a tip uh, from uh, Crawley about the map. Uh, we meet our first ever vampire, I believe, on DC's Legends of Tomorrow, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Noelle is her name. Uh, she provides him with the map as well as a magical tincture that uh, will come back to bite Constantine in the Tukis. He ends up convincing Spooner to join him on a quest to 1939 Spain. And uh, that's where their journey begins for the Fountain of Imperium. Uh, let's talk about the setup for this, for the Constantine side of the equation. Professor, talk to me about it a little bit. 
Well, it made sense. I mean, uh, you know, we talked last week about how well balanced it was and that everyone was there, everyone notably except Constantine. Uh, and so this episode was sort of seeing what he'd been up to. Uh, and, you know, it had been set up in his meeting with Gary before that, you know, Crowley, uh, who was the, uh, you know, the possessed uh painting uh was the source of information um so that was uh, you know good you know finding out that you know john even those powers was still uh going into that the introduction of the vampire was a nice touch noelle is an interesting character and i do hope we'll see more of her going forward uh she uh, sort of had that uh, interesting classy touch you know i like a classy vampire personally uh so yeah i think uh, you know they, they sort of did set it up well because this is all part of john's quest for this uh, you know font of imperium and uh, or fountain of imperium and uh, and to get his hours back so i think you know it, it got us right off the bat you know filling us in with uh you know where john is at on his quest and and what he's doing to do that as well as introducing you know a chekhov's vial of mysterious red liquid exactly so we do end up meeting a young kid named fernando who uh, obtained some magical abilities after drinking from the fountain of Imperium, that's the person in the press release that uh, that um, uh, Spooner connects with. Um, but the thing that I want to ask you, uh, Millie, you know, as uh, you know, they found him. They are they know the location of the fountain and this, that, or the other. And Spooner has an interesting conversation with Constantine about it because she's basically like, "I'm not going to risk my life for you know." To, to fulfill this magical craving you have, you need to give me a real reason as to why this is important for you. And we do get, I would say, a pretty solid reason as to why Constantine is, whatever you want to call it, attracted to, um, hooked on, um, a, a purveyor of magic, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we do get a, a, an interesting reason. Uh, what do you think of his discussion with uh, Spooner, Millie? I like that we got a little bit, I think, more insight to Constantine. I did not watch his show, so I don't know if it was on there, but I feel like his background's been a bit of a mystery since he's joined the Legends. So it's nice that we kind of get some insight, and I do like how um, it's Spooner that he has this conversation with. Um, first of all, I like the pairing, and second, I think it's it makes sense in a way of, of being able to connect uh, the idea of just kind of He's tapping into her, obviously, I feel like it's a little bit of manipulation, but tapping into her feelings of uh, feeling like out of power, not able to do anything and taking control. So I think they kind of had that connection. Um, and then we can kind of get a little insight on what makes him tick. Now, do I feel, I get it, but I also feel like maybe it was, again, manipulating the situation a bit uh, to get Spooner to uh, to do what he wants. So I, I had feelings on that, but overall, I like that we got a little information of him. Yeah, totally. Uh, I did watch the Constantine series. They never really explained why he was, uh, you know, hooked on magic or, well, they kind of make it seem in this episode like he's hooked on magic, but they, they never really explained why, you know, he loved the magic. So uh, this explanation, I think, made the most sense. If you haven't, you, well, you said you haven't seen the Constantine series. It's only 13 episodes. I think you can watch it on the CW app. It's actually pretty good. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't think that they've used a lot of real, really like the continuity from it outside of, you know, they do mention Astra and that sort of thing. So because that's part of the comics anyway, uh, but it's still a pretty solid series. Uh, Matt Ryan is equally fantastic on that as well. 
Okay, so moving right along. So there are a lot of shenanigans in Spain. At one point, Constantine dresses as a priest and, and tries to um, stall and prevent uh, some Nazi sympathizers from, or, or full-on Nazis, from getting to uh, the Fountain of Imperium. Once they actually get to the location, though, they find that... Whatever was there, whether it was a real fountain, a well, uh, a puddle, has uh, dried up. So Constantine asks uh, Spooner, because she has made a connection with the young kid, Fernando, who has the magical abilities, to, uh, you know, to use that connection to harness the magic in Fernando and pass it to Constantine. Earlier in the episode, we had a very interesting line about the Fountain of Imperium. Apparently, only those pure of heart uh, can uh, uh, accept or, or be bestowed with the magical powers. Uh, this came to sort of bite Constantine in the Tukus, because we did see Spooner pull out the magical, sparkly powers from Fernando, but they completely bypassed Constantine and, you know, they decided to take the dirt instead. Professor, what do you think of this? Were you surprised that, uh, that this happened? I feel like we all sort of thought, okay, so once they find the fountain, Constantine will get his powers back. Clearly this is legend, so it, it's not going to be that easy. Uh, what do you think of uh, the magic completely bypassing Constantine? Well, they had set it up earlier in the episode where, uh, you know, Spooner was reading it and said that only someone pure of heart. And John just, you know, uh, scoffed at that. You know, all that sort of crap they always put in their love. Don't worry about it. Uh, it won't apply to me. And, of course, it did. So, I mean, uh, it, it, it showed, you know, uh, you know, John was doing it for the wrong reasons. Uh, you know, possibly if there is a situation where... You know, John is doing it for the right reasons later on. Maybe it will work or maybe, you know, the uh, the rest of the season is going to be about getting John to the point where, um, you know, he has, you know, uh, cleaned up his act where he has become a, a more worthy uh, recipient uh, for the power. Because, you know, the font is theoretically still out there. Um, you know, it, it just bypassed John and, you know, disappeared again. But it, theoretically, it is still out there. So maybe that's what we're looking at for the rest of the season is John proving himself worthy of this rather than it being something that he thinks he can just take. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So let's get to, to the end of the story then, because this is where I actually have the biggest question to ask, because I, I'm wondering if, if y'all's sort of like wheels and your brains are, are turning in the same direction. So Constantine does not get the magic. Uh, they are being attacked by uh, the Nazis, and uh, he ends up drinking that uh, demonic tincture, whatever you want to call it, that, that little vial that the vampire left him, and he taps into some incredibly dark magic, um, very interesting cinematography. Uh, Matt Ryan played it in an interesting way, sort of as well. It, it appeared as if, you know, uh, Constantine turned uh, almost demonic. Like he was getting pure joy in killing 
all of these people and using magic in a very different way than we've ever seen Constantine use magic before. Afterward, Spooner was like, what the hell was that? And he was like, you know, I'll just, you know, use a little something, you know, because we needed to get out of the situation. But, you know, it freaked me out, so I'm never going to do it again. And later on, we see that um, he actually did get hooked on that. And he ends up trading the Crawley uh, um, painting, so Crawley's soul, to Noel for a whole lot more of uh, that magical bad blood tincture. And uh, he even wipes Spooner's memory of everything. Basically implanting new memories of, you know, we found the Fountain of Imperium, everything was fine and hunky-dory, and, uh, you know... Basically, she she has forgotten everything that transpired with them in Spain. She's She now has a new memory of things moving in a positive direction. Speaking of a direction, where do we think this goes? Uh, clearly, Constantine is going to be sipping on some bad stuff. So, is this going to lead to... Um, to, to echo uh, something that happened on um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, are we going to get a dark Constantine as opposed to a dark Willow? Um, is John Constantine going to be the big bad for the rest of the season? Since we have no idea where Bishop is, if he is even going to come back. Um, yeah, what's, what's going on with the storyline? Are they going to be able to save Constantine... Uh, or, I mean, dare I say, are they going to have to kill him? Millie, talk to me about this. What did you think of the end of the episode? What did you think of Constantine on, uh, you know, getting getting a, a dark magical high? And where do we go from here? I do think it's setting up for a, like, dark Constantine. He becomes a big bad, and then he has a redemption. Because that's very feels very CW and Legendsy, um, but I guess my my question in terms of this arc, like if he goes dark, because like that's what the whole vials definitely lead to, and we can see that with Spooner's reaction to like she obviously witnessed John just like kill all these guys, even though you know they're fascist Nazis, it's still kind of shocking. Um, I think that it's like if he goes this dark, and it seems like what you can see with the with the vials, like, can he be redeemed? And I, I wonder if that is instead, right, like, setting up for him to be killed off um, instead of actually redemption um, in his arc. Yeah, totally. I mean, it, as you said, it's kind of hard not to en enjoy the Nazis or even Nazi th sympathizers getting killed, but he enjoyed a little bit too much. Uh, he was relishing in, you know, that magic, that dark magic, that bad blood magic, uh, whatever that is, you know, flowing through his veins. So, yeah, this is an interesting storyline for Constantine. Professor, your thoughts on... Constantine on the juice, and uh, where do you think this goes? Uh, is this going to be the demise of John Constantine? Is this a way to get rid of one of their most OP uh, legends? Or will he get a redemptive arc at the end? I feel like we do need to get into 
some sort of storyline. You know, if this is, you know, by the end of the path, if this is where it leads to Constantine getting magic back, I do think Constantine does need his magic back. But um, is this the storyline where we're going to get it? Or is this going to be a, a way to show Constantine that, uh, you know, not all magic is good magic? Well, I think Constantine knows that. Uh, you know, Constantine, you know, is, is not exactly a user of, of white magic traditionally in the comics or in this show. Um, I agree with you, the idea that, you know, Constantine could end up being the big bad. Um, you know, something I thought about last week was that we were sort of missing the big bad. You know, much as I'm enjoying the, the episodic nature of it. Uh, you know, usually in these Arrowverse shows, you have the episodic nature, plus you have some overarching thing. And, you know, Spooner and her mom is not enough of an arc. Rory and his babies is not enough of an arc. I think with uh, with the Constantine situation, yeah, you're setting up someone who could be, you know, interesting. Because what they're doing is they're setting up, you know, his uh, uh, his need for the magic as basically being a form of addiction. Um, you know, and, and by having him have to, you know, you know, drink the stuff in order to get his magical powers, they're really making the, uh, the, the, uh, the analogy pretty overt, uh, over on black lightning. We talked about the idea of, you know, when you have powers and, you know, and then losing them, how there's the sense of loss and, and everything like that. Uh, I think they're making it a little more overt like that. And it allows John to become even more, uh, extreme in that respect. I think that, you know, uh, Ordinarily, you know, a couple of seasons ago, I might have said that, you know, I don't know if they bother redeeming him. I think they will in this case because they have spent the time uh, establishing his relationship with the Wasari 2.0, who conveniently is, you know, off in the totem and, you know, wouldn't be around to see the uh, the difference in her boyfriend. She's shown herself to be quite perceptive, uh, you know, in picking up the little things uh, about John. So, um, yeah, uh, ordinarily, you know, yeah, John is the one character who, who you know, could be beyond redemption and, you know, that in an, an ordinary show, we wouldn't want that. But something about Legends, you know, Legends, uh, you know, someone said that it's basically a workplace comedy. And it is. The problem is that John has never really been part of the team. You know, he has ridden along with them on the Wave Rider. He has, you know, helped out at times, but he's always been off doing his own little thing. And I think something about this episode showed why. It's that, you know, John tends to suck all the oxygen out of the story. Uh, you know, it, it ends up becoming uh, a Constantine-heavy story just because Constantine is doing something, uh, which obviously was not the case last week when, you know, uh, we, I, we talked about, you know, how great a job they did of balancing uh, the episode, everyone had something to do. Everyone had great lines. Everyone had great reactions. In this episode, it was really just Constantine and Spooner. And, you know, a little bit going on with the other characters, but, you know, they were given short shrift because of that. So in that respect, it felt less like a Legends episode, more like a Flash episode, uh, which, you know, has also had problems balancing the large cast. So my gut feeling is that, yeah, there, there, there could be some redemption for, for John. But, you know, given what he did, the killing, I mean, you know, Killing Nazis, it's it's generally accepted that that's an okay thing to do, uh, except in contemporary American politics, I realize. Um, but, uh, you know, I think for him, the, uh, the crossing over point was him messing with Spooner's memory uh, and, and manipulating her the way he did. Because you can say that, well, they were fascists and, you know, they were going to kill the kids. So he was, you know, uh, just doing what he and, you know, you could argue that maybe he wasn't fully in control. Uh, and that might be a little bit of an out for them as well, that, you know, because of the drugs, he's not fully in control of what he does. Uh, and therefore, you know, he, he's not held the same uh, level of responsibility, even though he is choosing to take the drugs. Um, but him making the decision there to, uh, you know, manipulate Spooner the way he did um, is, you know, a pretty dastardly thing to do. It's, it's you know, not unlike 
like the sort of thing Bishop was doing. Uh, you know, when you think about him being the big bad in the first half of the season, but without the uh, the humor and the uh, uh, the uh, and the, the jokes and the dancing. So, yeah, it, it does feel like a very dark turn for John, who is, you know, always been a dark character. Um, I don't know. My I, my hope is they find a way to redeem him somehow just because I am enjoying him with Zari. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a large cast if they're looking for a way to get rid of him. Uh, maybe that will be necessary. I hope not, but I could see it happening. Yeah, it's an interesting predicament because uh, for the longest, I've been a fan of uh, Constantine and I've always said, you know, he's going to remain on the Wave Rider. Like, I don't think he's going to leave. Like, I feel like if Constantine would ever leave the Wave Rider, it's because the CW has decided they've granted him a spinoff, you know? And then that would make the most sense. But... This path is a, a tricky one. Um, if he does end up becoming a big bad, uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, in previous seasons, I don't think they've ever had one of their own become the big bad. So if they go that route, that would, yeah, that would, they'd have to react to the big bad in a very different way. Uh, they're gonna have to try to save the big bad, which could be interesting. Um, yeah, I, I have no idea where we're going with this, but uh, I'm along for the ride. Matt Ryan, as a magic-addicted, uh, dark arts, even darker arts, Constantine, will be hella interesting. And the fact that, as you said, Professor, OG Zari, o OZ, is on the uh, Wave Rider and not 2.0. 2.0 would 100% notice everything. This Zari, not as much, because she doesn't have a real relationship with Constantine. So the writers have allowed them to, to, to write it in a way that's going to be incredibly believable. He will be doing all this stuff, you know, right under their noses, and, and they won't realize it probably until, uh, you know... Probably until right before the end, I guess, uh, whenever it is. And again, as as a metaphor for addiction, it's it's a pretty cliched thing about the person who is using, but their friends and family don't notice, or they notice things, but they don't realize what's going on, and then the realization of it, it comes in, of the sort of thing you should have noticed, you know, um, in retrospect. So, again, I think the way they're going to play this is uh, is is using the the addiction metaphor. Yes, which, I mean, that that does mean that they can cure him, or maybe not cure him, but they can save him, um, so we'll see, we'll see what happens, yeah alright, moving over to uh, well, part of the B storyline, it's a B storyline that actually got wrapped up pretty quickly uh, let's talk about Gus Gus uh, Gus is still adorable, we get a moment of of, uh, of a little musical interlude with uh, Bayrod, Nate, and an alienified Gary, who has lost his glasses for <laughs> lots of the episode. And uh, we learn that, th at some point in the episode, we learn that Gus Gus is growing. He's turning into a big boy. He's suffering through, through a teenage stage that, um, that has him incredibly hormonal. Uh, uh, Lita ends up tricking Mick into helping out, and uh, they end up sending Gus Gus into, it appeared like it's just some sort of forest on Earth, 
Um, I don't know if this is gonna a storyline that's gonna come back to haunt them, uh, or if it's, it was just a way to get rid of Gus Gus, uh, a comedic way. But uh, they they do end up getting rid of Gus Gus. We do have a fantastic moment with the Tarazi siblings, which was awesome. Uh, let's talk about just the, the silly storyline of the episode. Uh, Gus 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 growing up. Uh, Gus Gus transforming from a uh, a puppet, I guess, or some sort of animatronic, uh, into a, a CGI uh, monster creation. Millie? Teenage Gus Gus is not as cute. They <laughs> so never I'm are. Glad that they, right? I should have known. Um, Maybe Teenage I, I, Bebo. I, wish... I don't feel like <laughs> Bebo would be adorable all the time. Yeah, that was, I wonder what teenage Bebo would look like. Maybe, but I guess they just do like super sized Bebo, and that's the extent of it. Um, and super sized Gus Gus would be cute though. Uh, I, I thought it was fun just to see, and I'm kind of curious how long. Well, I was curious how long Gus Gus is going to stay around, and kind of got that answer. But I wonder if he's going to make a comeback because, um, considering uh, it was Mick that <laughs> put Gus Gus somewhere, I feel like it's going to come back to to kick them in the butt somehow. Um, and I feel like we can't spend that much time on Gus Gus and not bring him back. Yeah, yeah. I have a feeling because it was Mick's decision that, yeah, we'll come back to bite the team and the Tukas, uh, as, you know, typically happens with Mick Rory. Let's talk about him, though. So, he is incredibly hormonal in this episode. Mick is usually incredibly hormonal, let's just be honest about it. And, uh, uh, there's there's a really great dynamic between Mick and Lita in this episode. They're pretty much paired up because everyone else is dealing with Gus Gus. We, uh, we, we get to the point by the end of this storyline where Mick accepts that he's pregnant or at least accepts it in, in um, the most Mick Rory way possible. We find out that he's got 48 eggs inside of his head. Uh, I think, the uh, the best reaction to it was seeing both Sarah and Ava because they do return at like the tail end of the episode. Ava is incredibly like aw adorable and that sort of thing, and uh, Sarah is like grossed the fuck out, which is fantastic. Uh, Professor, what do you think of Mick and Lita throughout this episode? It was a an interesting storyline for both of them. It, it, it kind of um, paralleled a little bit where we hear uh, Lita and Lita sort of discussing uh, when she was born and how her mom really had to cope and deal with it. Much like now that she's pregnant, she's had to cope and deal with it. And that's basically the advice that she gives Mick because Mick is all like, men don't get pregnant. I don't understand why I'm pregnant. This, that, the other. And she's like, well, you're just going to have to cope and deal with it because you are pregnant. Well, the other thing she said to him that I think is important is that, you know, you have to cope because they need you and I need you too. And I think that was an important thing for Mick to hear. You know, Mick has always been, you know, a bit of a, you know, a very self-centered and, and selfish character, uh, you know, to sort of hear that, you know, from his daughter and, you know, essentially speaking as the proxy for the little, you know, alien eggs in his head. What a strange world we live in, um, you know, made sense and, and gave him that reason to uh, to do that. 
Um, you know, it, it does seem that he's punishing himself for leaving Caleb behind. Uh, you know, his argument is that, you know, you know, you don't leave your partner behind. Was it just that or, you know, is there a more of an emotional attachment uh, to Kayla as well? Wasn't clear in this episode. It could be either way. Uh, but how great was Lita, you know, faking going into pregnancy to sucker him into going to the med lab? Because he wouldn't go to the med lab for himself. But if he thought he was doing it for his daughter, he did. Uh, so, you know, uh, very clever manipulation on her part uh, worked great. And it did, you know, set up the, the delightful, you know, uh, you know, the Wonder Twin powers uh, activate uh uh, tribute in there. So I really did like how, um, how it ended up playing out because, you know, Mick did get a little bit of, you know, character development by, you know, unveiling, no, I shouldn't say unveiling, but, uh, by, uh, you know, uh, unburdening himself, uh, to Lita, uh, and, and thereby, you know, by proxy to us in the audience, you know, what he's been going through, why he's been, you know, uh, it's not just the eggs that have him feeling moody. It is a sense of guilt and a sense of loss uh, that he's having to deal with. So I think he had a, a pretty good arc here, actually, in the episode. Millie, what about you? What did you think of McRory and Lita throughout the episode? I enjoyed them. I, I do agree the Professor was a nice little side arc. Definitely not enough to carry a whole storyline, but it was nice to see a little bit behind Mick and, and what why he's all grumpy, not just his normal grumpiness. Um, and I, I was surprised how much I enjoyed Lita. I feel like sometimes on the fence about her, but I feel like she's in a nice temporary addition and kind of get to see a softer side of Mick when she's out. Yeah, totally. Uh, I'm really digging how they're using Lita um, this at least during this arc. Uh, yeah. And I also like that they mentioned sort of like the time travel nonsense. Cause she was like, you know, in my future, which is your past. And I was like, okay, I like that they're explaining it because clearly this is Alita from the future. Now, when Mick ends up leaving the wave rider by the end of the season, is he going to go off with Kayla? Is he going to stay technically in the future in 2023, 2024 with, uh, Lita and, uh, you know, her new child. We'll have to wait and see in regards to that. But uh, it does look like they're going to give uh, Mick some sort of happy ending, you know, as he uh, leaves the Wave Rider, um, at least on a, on a um, temporary or whatever you want to call it basis. Uh, he is going to be recurring, I guess, in the new season, or at least making special appearances. All right, did I miss anything? A teeny tiny little moment or anything? Uh, any, any theories or anything before we head into the MVP? Uh, I have two things. First, I have to commandeer control of the podcast to introduce Spanglish Corner, uh, a chance when uh, Jeff can weigh in on the use of Spanish in the episode, Jeff. Yes. Oh, I didn't know we were, we were going to make over the track into the Wave Rider. Uh, the Spanish was fantastic. They even found an actor with uh, a uh, um, you know a Spanish from Spain accent, which was fantastic because they were in Spain. So I approved of it. Apparently, they only have casted one person horrendously in the Spanish speaking department in the Arrowverse slash CW verse. Uh, the other thing, I, I, I feel like I'm the only person who thinks this happened because, you know, I didn't see anything about it in, in show recaps and, and neither of you mentioned it. But when they, uh, you know, forced Gus Gus uh, out of the Wave Rider into what looked like a, you know, wooded, you know, Pacific Northwest environment, does anyone else think they just created Sasquatch? Because That's... Gus Gus was like pink and, uh, and purple and all that, but he'd been burned on his back. Uh, his, he had a very Sasquatch vibe to him. And because of the burning, it had burned him to like a brownish color. And I thought, you know, if that burning continues on, 
he's going to look totally like a Bigfoot. I thought that in my mind as I watched it, I was like, he looks Bigfoot-ish. But I, I figured that they weren't, that they can't leave this as a dangling thread. Maybe they will, just because it was ridiculous to begin with. But I, I feel like this has to come back to bite them in the butt. Whether it's a Sasquatch storyline, because I'm trying to think, I don't think they've ever done a Bigfoot storyline. And so they, you know, they're... They and they end up figuring out that it's Gus Gus. Uh, this has to come back to haunt them, in a fun way, maybe. Yeah, I was thinking that as well, Professor. I didn't mention it, but I'm glad you brought it up. Okay, so it's MVP time. Most valuable player. State which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. Once a character has been chosen, they cannot be selected again. So choose wisely, Professor X. MVP. Who? Uh, I'm going to choose Spooner. Uh, you know, I, I've I've come to really enjoy Spooner. I uh, really loved her last episode. I mentioned that even though she didn't have a lot of lines, her reactions, uh, her face acting uh, was really good. They gave her a lot more to do in this episode, and she carried it well. Uh, you know, uh, sort of playing that role of uh, of the communicator uh, in an interesting way. Uh, now, it is kind of interesting because given their powers are, you know, alien communication, the fact that she was able to communicate with, you know, the magic, does that imply that the, the, the font of Imperium uh, isn't real? It could just be an alien or something like that rather than, you know, some sort of, you know, magical source. I, I don't know. Uh, but I thought she played it really well. She, uh, she was, you know, a strong scene partner for John. And then that really kind of touching moment at the end when she was, you know, uh, talking about patience and, you know, showed out once again to, uh, in the Heights, uh, Paciencia y Fe. Um, uh, Jeff, don't mock my Spanish attempt there. I'll try but, not to. Uh, it was really it was a touching moment for her and and giving us you know uh that you know the old in vino veritas line uh you know giving us that uh, that glimpse of her and the the vague memory of her mother uh in a very you know uh unguarded vulnerable very real way i thought was was very very strong and i thought she was great throughout the episode a very good choice yes um millie what about you who's your mvp and why I think I'll have to give it to Constantine, um, which uh, is the other, I think, obvious choice besides Spooner, as he, Professor Apley said, kind of sucked most of the storyline out. But uh, Matt Ryan does such a good job kind of playing the different levels of Constantine, just seeing all his opportunities to get magic going away. Um, and then the touching moment between him and Spooner, I thought was also nice as well. So overall, it was a solid performance, and we got to see a lot of um, his back, or not a lot, but a little bit of his backstory as well. So I have to give it to Constantine. Another great choice. And I'm going to give mine to Lita. I mean, both of you made the appropriate choices because they they sucked up all the oxygen at the episode. This really was a Constantine-heavy episode. But as far as the two subplots, uh, I think Lita really... Uh, she shined the most. Uh, I, I really enjoyed how they're using her in this arc. Uh, I loved her chat with her father, getting him to open up a little bit, um, getting him out of sort of that persnickety mood that he was in at the start of the episode. Uh, I enjoyed how they used Lita this episode, 100%. So now it's time to rate the episode. How would you rate this Episode on a scale of 1 to 10 Wave Riders. The point system is allowed. And if you found the episode exceptional, deserving of more than a 10, you may grant it the coveted Golden Wave Rider. Millie? Um, I think the professor kind of, as mentioned, hit on it. It was very focused on Constantine and Spooner, which is great to see that 
relationship go, but this is Legends. I feel like maybe we've been spoiled, but it felt a little off off Legendsy uh, for me because everyone else found like background characters, and there really wasn't much else going on. Um, and depending on where they go with Constantine and the setup, uh, I find it curious, and I, I'm not sure if I'm biggest fan of him going this dark, dark route. Although do some good story explanations. So overall, I feel like it's a solid episode, um, but I think that. In terms of plot, it kind of treaded a little slowly, so I'll have to give it 8.0 Wave Riders. Okay, we get an 8 from Millie. Professor, what about you? Yeah, I, I agree with everything Millie said. Uh, you know, especially after, you know, the show's been so good all season long with with balancing various characters. You know, even when Sarah was off, you know, alone on a planet, they managed to find a way to give the others, you know, something significant to do and, and balance things out. I felt that they really didn't do that in this episode. And a lot of it was just, you know, John being John. Um, we got a little more motivation, but, you know, not much. So for me, this was, you know, really, you know, a not the most satisfying of episodes for this season. So I'm going to take it even a little lower than Millie. I'm going to give it a 7.5. All right, an 8 and a 7.5. And uh, interestingly enough, I was leaning towards an 8, but Professor, when you said 7.5, I think that's the most appropriate rating. Uh, After everything that we've seen, uh, everything has been fantastic this season, and this episode I think is the first clunker. And it makes me sad to say that, because Legends is usually firing on all cylinders, and I find myself enjoying immensely like you know all these uh episodes of legends of tomorrow especially these past couple seasons and uh and this one was really the first one that i can say is not really rewatchable um i'm glad i watched it i understand the constantine storyline but it was it's it's i think the first meh episode of the season for legends and that's a bit disappointing because legends isn't supposed to be meh it's supposed to be fun uh, maybe we'll get some of the fun next week when, well, in the next episode when Jess McCallan directs. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. But this one, I think appropriately enough, is a 7.5. On that note, join us next time for a brand new installment of Time Masters. Here's our announcer, Gidget, to remind you on how you can interact with us. Thank you, Captain. Follow Papichilo Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Papichilo Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at papichiloradio.com. Are you interested in joining the Papichilo Radio team as an on-air personality or blog contributor? Email talent at papichiloradio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Papichilo Radio programs by visiting papichiloradio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for Time Masters and subscribe. Back to you, my captain. Thanks, Gidget. My co-host, please wish the listeners a good night, starting off with Millie Wood. Good night, listeners. And if you want to follow along with me, I'm on Twitter as at the Asian Nerd. And the Professor. Good night, listeners. Thanks for tuning in. Download new episodes of Time Masters every Tuesday via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and the Poppy Chula Radio Archives. A quick programming note. Uh, the next two Sundays will be Legends-less, so we will return in three weeks with a brand new installment of the podcast. Good night, everyone.